can't top that, but I'll give you some cheesy dad jokes, okay? You ready for some cheesy dad jokes? You got to help me out on these. The first service didn't laugh so much. You got to help me out. Just fake a laugh for me. Fake a laugh. I blame this on my friend over here from across the pond. He said we had to have some cheesy dad jokes. So here you go. For Father's Day, did you know that five out of four people admit that they're bad at fractions? I like that. Five... Five out of four of you didn't even get that joke. <laughs> what do you call a donkey with three legs? A wonky. <laughs> I like that, wonky. <laughs> After dinner, my wife asked me if I could clear the table. I needed a running start, but I made it. <laughs> that took you a moment there. This is my favorite, perhaps. You probably heard this one, but how do you make a Kleenex dance? Put some boogie in it. That's right. Why did the scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. I like that. And finally, a guy goes to his manager and he says, I don't think I'm strong enough anymore to do my job as a personal trainer. I guess you could call this my two-week notice. Two-week notice right there. Two. <laughs> two. <clears throat> Happy Father's Day. Today I want to just, uh, just challenge the men for a moment, and specifically the men, but also all of the ladies in here as well. And I want to talk to you about the thought of strength. Where do we find true strength? When we think of Father's Day, when we think of men, what makes someone strong? For some of us, when we think of that question, we think of physical strength, somebody who is muscular, maybe somebody who is physically intimidating, and we think that is what it means to be strong. For other people, when they think of it, they think maybe that person is a strong businessman, or maybe they have a strong personality. I've even heard people say that that person has a strong presence about them. When they walk in the room, there is strength about them. And there are all kinds of thoughts when we think of what makes somebody truly strong. Well, today we're starting a brand new series, and for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about the life of Samson. And throughout the Bible, there is perhaps no one in the entirety of all of the Bible who is described as more physically strong than Samson but at the same time had great moments of spiritual weakness. So again, what makes us strong? No matter how you interpret the word strong, every man, uh, probably every woman in this place today, we desire to be known as strong. Especially us guys. I've seen it with my own eyes. We have three children, two of which are boys. And uh, as they were growing up, every so often you'd walk by the room and they're there with their shirts off and they're flexing in the mirror. You don't even have to tell them. They just do it instinctively because they have a desire to be strong. On occasion, they'll say, hey, mom, hey, dad, watch this. And they'll do some kind of feat of strength and they're lifting something because they want to be seen as strong. Ladies, admit it. If you're married, or perhaps you have an older child now, or an older boy, every so often still, it's like we never grow out of it. You walk by, and it doesn't matter that their belly is bigger than their biceps. They're still in the mirror trying to flex because they have a desire to be strong. And we never seem 
to get away from that. Today I want to talk to you about true strength. My prayer is that this message will speak to not only the men in this place, but the ladies, everybody in this place, not only the fathers today. What is true strength? Because specifically for guys, we desire to be strong. It's almost as if it's in our DNA. Let me prove this point by showing you two popular movie clips. And then after these movie clips, I've got a question for you, especially the men today. Take a look at these two clips. and you may die. Run, and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take all right guys i have a question for you and you better get this question right or we will take your man card at the door as you leave how many of the men in here would be honest and say man out of the two movie clips i resonated with braveheart just a little bit more raise your hand i don't if not you keep your hand down This little illustration just goes to prove there are only two kinds of movies. Good movies and chick flicks. There you go. <laughs> but we've seen that clip over and over. But what is it about that Braveheart clip that seems to stir something in the inside of us? I believe it's because we're wired in a certain way. We're wired for strength. I believe it's because we're wired to live for something that is greater than ourselves. And I believe it's time specifically for the men of God to rise up and be all that God has called us to be. Not just in physical strength, but men of integrity. Men that are godly. Men that put their family before their own needs. Men who love the Lord with all of their hearts and their soul and their mind. Men who understand true strength is found in Him alone. I recently came across a message that really stirred my heart. And today, as we start this brand new series that is entitled Samson, I want to look at his life and learn some lessons that perhaps we've never learned from the story of Samson. Even if you grew up in church, maybe we would look over these next several weeks into the life of Samson in a new and a fresh way and let his life speak to you and to me about true strength. The story of Samson is found in the book of Judges. You can read ahead in the next several weeks, and it's in, found in Judges chapter 13 through chapter 16. I'd encourage you to take a deeper look as over the next few weeks we'll look into the entire story of Samson and how it relates to the overall message of the Bible. 
But as you're turning to specifically Judges chapter 14 today, I want to give you a little bit of background to kind of set the stage for this series and for the message today. Throughout the book of Judges, we find that the Israelites, God's chosen people, find themselves in this repetitive cycle that happens again and again. You can see the cycle as they put it on the screen here. Basically, Israel would serve the Lord. They would love the Lord. They'd put their heart after the things of God. Then all of a sudden, they would fall into sin and idolatry. Instead of putting God as first and number one, they would serve the idols of those who were around them. Then they would go into a place where they would be enslaved because of their disobedience. After that, God, would, they would cry out to the Lord for help. And God, at this season and time of their life, in the history of Israel, would send a judge. At that time, they had no kings. So for a 300-year period of time in the book of Judges, he sent a number of different judges, 12 in all. God would raise up a judge. Israel would be delivered. And then all of a sudden, the cycle would repeat itself again and again. In this 300-year period of time, God raised up 12 judges in all. Therefore, the book of Judges. The most famous of all, perhaps, was this man named Samson. God raises up Samson to rescue the nation of Israel, who has now been enslaved for 40 years by the Philistine army. He's given a great purpose. See, if you grew up in church or if you did not grow up in church, maybe you just seen a movie one time. One of the things we know about the character Samson was he was known for great strength. He was the strongest man in all of the Bible. And when you think of the great feats of strength of Samson, you probably think of somebody. I know growing up they had these felt boards and they would put these pictures of Samson up there or you would look through an illustrated Bible and he always looked like he was real ripped and real strong. I imagine that Samson probably looked a little bit like, a, I don't know, like me probably, you know. Real strong, very ripped, right? That was not supposed to be a laughing... But actually, we don't know. You weren't there. I wasn't there. I imagine Samson may have looked something like this. Ha! Some Barney up in this place, right? Let's hope he didn't look something like this. (laughs) I don't remember that. But for all we know, could have been. Why? Because we envision this great strong man. But every time in the book of Judges that we see a great feat of strength. The Bible said one time that, that uh, he was against the Philistines and there was a thousand of them. He literally takes a, a, a donkey's jawbone and beats up the, over a thousand and slays a thousand enemies. Another time by the end of the story, he regains his strength and he pushes down an entire coliseum. And every single time that one of these great street, feats of strength happened, it would have this Key phrase right before it. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That it wasn't about his strength, but the strength of God that came upon him. So we don't know what he looked like. I can imagine that he's probably not the guy that's curling dumbbells in the mirror at the gym that you just see every time you walk in. Perhaps he looked completely different, but it was God who gave him true power. Men, women in this place, I am thankful to tell you that we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And if he gave strength to Samson way back then, that his power, history, is still available for us today. Maybe it's not for physical exploits, but the power of true strength is available. True strength that allows us to live a great life that's for his glory. To live that's a life that's beyond just ourselves. Can we be honest, though, for a lot of us, we don't always feel all that strong. Sometimes in our life, we find ourselves failing. God, I know that you've called me to great purpose, and you want to use great strength in me so that I could glorify your name. But I find myself falling again and again to the tricks of the enemy. And instead of walking in your strength for your glory, I find myself falling to the tricks and falling great weakness, and I dishonor your name. If you ever have felt like you're not all that strong in this world that we live in, you are going to be able to relate to the story of Samson. Those of us who grew up with this Sunday school story know that Samson, he ultimately lost his strength and then he regained his strength. And when we think about how he lost his strength, how did he lose it? We think of the fact that his hair was cut. If you didn't grow up with this story, you're like, what in the world is that all about? Why would you get a haircut and uh, then all of a sudden lose your strength? You have to understand a little bit of the background. As one of the judges that God raised up as the deliverer, early in his life, Samson had taken for the entirety of his life something that was known as the Nazarite vow. In that time, some people would take it for just a period of time in their life. He said, for my entire life, I am going to vow to be set apart. That word Nazarite vow meant he was setting himself apart for the purpose of God. And the Nazarite vow consisted of three things. Number one, he would not drink alcohol the entirety of his life. Number two, he would touch no dead thing, no dead animal, no dead thing. He would not physically touch a dead thing. And number three, he would not cut his hair for the entirety of his life. Growing up, we heard that Samson lost his strength. And we heard that over in uh, the book of of Judges chapter 16, it was because Delilah cut his hair. But if that is all you know about the story of Samson, you're missing so much. If you just think, well, he got a haircut, he didn't have much hair, and that's how he lost his strength. And that strength is lost because you don't have a lot of hair. I'm looking out there and I see some guys that are in trouble today. If you think that hair and strength are... Stop right there. I'm in rare form. I had a venti cup of coffee. Blame it on that. I want to learn some lessons about where true strength comes from. In your notes today, something you need to understand about the life of Samson. Samson was very strong, but he was also very weak when it came to self-control. Have you ever met a man or even a woman that outwardly seemed to have it all together, but inwardly they had very little self-control? Looks good on the outside, but if you only knew there was little or no self-control and it was leading them down a path of destruction... Understand, men and women of God, you you can say that you're strong all day long, but if you have no self-control, you are truly weak. Today I want to explore very quickly three attitudes that make strong men weak. Three attitudes that instead of walking in strength are actually lead us to a road of weakness. I want to give them all to you in the beginning and then we'll take each one 
individually. You can write this down. The first one is lust. I want it. Got to have it. Make strong men weak. The second one is entitlement. Not only do I want it, I deserve it. It'll make you weak every time. Another one is pride. It's a big one. I can handle it. So let's take a look at each one of these as it relates to Samson's life. And I pray that it also begins to open up our eyes to how it may relate to our lives as well. First thing I want to see is lust. I want it. Judges chapter 14 verse 1 starts like this. Samson went down to a place called Timnah. What you need to understand is he wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. Timnah was where the enemy was. It was where the Philistine was. So basically he goes to a place he shouldn't be. Samson goes down to this place called Timnah, and Timnah there he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Like, hey girl, what's your name? <laughs> I like you. He didn't really say that. He didn't say that here, but that's what he thought. How you doing? How you doing? 24 ounces of coffee this morning. <laughs> so he goes to this place he shouldn't have been in the first place. He sees this woman that was part of the enemy army that he shouldn't have a lust for. Verse 2. Then he came up to his father and his mother. I saw, that's an important word, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go and get her for me as my wife. Classic example of lust. I see, I want. I know that that's not what I'm supposed to be. I'm in the wrong place. I know that I'm not supposed to be going after this girl, but I see, I want. We see it all the way back in the book of Genesis at the very beginning of time. One of the tricks of the enemy. The Bible says that Adam and Eve are placed in the middle of this beautiful garden. They said, you can have rain of the entirety of the garden, but don't eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. What does the Bible say? They're going along one day and they see the fruit of the tree and they see that it's desirable to make one wise and they end up taking they see they desire they sin we see the pattern again and again so here he is he goes down and he's to in this place he shouldn't have been he sees i want he goes to his mom and dad and says hey go get her to be my wife automatically in verse 3, his parents begin to try and talk him out of it. No, she's not a godly woman. She's not of our tribe. This is not a good thing. Tries a warning. She's not a godly woman. It's not right for you to marry this woman. But check out Samson's reply in verse 3. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my own eyes. She's right in my eyes. This is such a critical statement in the book of Judges here. It's so important to catch this. Everyone else was telling him, don't do it. It's not right. God had even warned him, it's not right. He says, it's a, I don't care what God says. I don't care what anybody else says. It's right in my own eyes. It looks right to me. How often do we get ourselves in trouble when we do what is only right in our own eyes? 
huge statement here because in the book of Judges, up until this point, remember they've been in this repetitive cycle of sin. Up until this point, every time that the, the children of Israel would turn away from God and sin, it would say this. This was the phrase that was used. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now the story of Samson, it changes from they did evil in the eyes of the Lord to they did what was right in their own eyes. As a matter of fact, you get to the last, very last verse of the book of Judges, and it says all the people after Samson, it changed, and from then on, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't care what, the world, what, what God says. I don't care what I know is right and wrong. I'm doing what is right to me. Sound familiar? We live in a society that loves to do what is right in their own eyes. We have this relativistic world that says whatever is right for you is right for you. To each is on. Hey, if it feels good, do it. No big deal. And we do what is right in our own eyes. It is easy to see that in our culture, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult to turn inward and say, is that in me also? God, am I doing what is right in my own eyes? God said it wasn't right. Friends and family are trying to warn me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Forge ahead. Every time that we do what is right in our eyes, it makes us who should be walking in strength actually very weak. You want to test a strength? You want to test a spiritual maturity? What do you do when it is right in your own eyes, but it's wrong in God's eyes? I had to do this in the first service too and repeat that so that you really catch that you want to know if you're truly strong what do you do when something seems right in your own eyes but you know it's wrong in God's eyes if you just forge ahead you're spiritually weak if you conform your life to his word that is where strength is tested the Bible says if you want to be a disciple it takes discipline if you want to be a disciple, he says, you're going to have to take up my cross, a cross and follow me. You're going to have to die to yourself. It's not about you. You do what is right in my eyes. Six people were supposed to say amen right there. It's in my notes. Listen, you can write this down. What happens when you continue in what is right in your eyes? What happens when I want it turns into I regret it? Lust, I want it. Second thing, very quickly, I want you to see that will make a strong man weak is entitlement. I deserve it. Keep going in verse 5. So at this point, he's going to a place he shouldn't be. He sees the enemy's army. He's a daughter of the enemy's army. I want her to be my wife. Everybody warns him, but he says, it's right in my own eyes. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Then we see entitlement, I deserve it. Verse 5, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Roar! Make sure you're awake. <laughs> Verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Remember, he couldn't do anything without the strength of God. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, in other words, he was barehanded, another translation said. He had no thing to fight this lion. He was barehanded. He tore the lion piece to piece as one tears a young goat. 
But then check this out. But he did not tell his mother or his father what he had done. What in the world? Why didn't he tell anything, anybody about this? I mean, get the picture. There's this lion coming. He's going to a place he shouldn't be. And all of a sudden, this lion comes out of nowhere. He rips him apart. And then he keeps it a secret and doesn't tell anybody about it. I don't know about you guys, but I would never stop telling anybody about it, right? You know how guys like to one-up each other and they're telling stories? Yeah, I caught a fish this big. Yeah, I got this trophy deer. I mean, you would always win that, right? Yeah, it reminds me of that time I toured that lion limb to limb barehanded. Okay, you win. If I, as your pastor, was to do that, it would be in every sermon illustration ever. I want to talk to you about giving today, and it reminds me of that time that I ripped that line apart barehanded. It didn't matter the subject. I'm going to make it work. Why in the world would he not say anything? We'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 8 goes on. So here he is, he's at a place he shouldn't be going, he's with a woman he shouldn't be meaning, he goes along, he kills this lion, he goes on to find the woman, and then in verse 8, after some days he returned to take her as his wife, then check this, and he turned aside, we get ourselves in trouble when we turn aside, keep reading, to see the carcass of the lion that he had killed days before, remember Samson's vow? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to touch any dead thing. He turns to see this animal that he had killed days before. He shouldn't even be going because he's not supposed to touch any dead thing. Why turn aside to something you shouldn't do? Entitlement. Samson's like, I deserve it. I killed this lion with my bare hands. I tore it limb for limb. I deserve to see the carcass of this lion. No, you didn't, Samson. It was God who gave you strength. Keep walking. But when we turn aside, all of a sudden, we see something sweet, we're tempted, and we think that we deserve it. That's what happened to Samson. Verse 8, he goes to the lion carcass, and check this out. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Stop, Samson. Remember your vow. You're not supposed to go near or touch any dead thing. But I deserve it. I killed this animal with my bare hands. I deserve a little bit of the honey. There's a sweet temptation. Verse 9 says this. So he scraped it out with his hands and went on eating it as he went. He goes to this dead animal. There is honey and bees there. He scrapes it out with his hands. He touches something he wasn't supposed to touch. And he goes about his own business. I deserve it. And all for momentary satisfaction, he gets rid of the vow that he had made before God and touches this dead thing. Sounds stupidly ridiculous, doesn't it? Sounds like a, for a handful of honey... For momentary satisfaction because you think you deserve it? How stupid is that? But can I tell you, we do that all the time if we're honest. Oh, it's just a little look. It's no big deal. I know that God has called me, but I deserve this. I, my needs are not being met. Oh, it's just a click. Nobody will know. Who is it really going to hurt? Oh, it's just an innocent flirtation. It's just a one-time lunch with somebody of the opposite sex. I deserve it. They really understand me. And for momentary handfuls of honey, I've seen people lose it all. 
marriage is destroyed, children in shambles, integrity and a good name lost. Why? Because of lust and then entitlement. I deserve it. So he grabs a hold of this honey. He goes on his way. He's eating. And then we see lust. We see entitlement. And thirdly, very quickly, we see pride. I can handle it. It's a big one for many of us guys. So he breaks this vow, and we'll go through this very quickly, but he breaks this vow. He's eating of this honey. And then in verse 10, automatically, in the NIV version, it says this. Now his father went down to see the woman that he was going to marry, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for the young men. So they were going to get married. He holds a feast. Easy to skip this part and miss this. But if you look at the original translation of that word feast there, the word literally meant a feast or a party, a celebration or an occasion for drinking. He held a kegger. Held a party. I can handle it. Remember his three vows? He's already broke one. He touched a dead thing. Now he's, okay, it's no big deal. I'm going to drink. I'm going to get rid of that part of the vow and later in the story that's when we hear not only that he ends up having his hair cut too he goes and disowns all three vows of the Nazarite vow why because I can handle it pride it's all about me I was the one that tore that animal I am okay I can do this thing and pride will kill you every time you're called to be set apart man of God amen I'm not just talking about a Nazarite vow, but we're supposed to be different. God doesn't just let us live in any way that we desire to live. And when we do and we say, I can handle it, pride sets in and it is destructive in our life. We will learn in this series that he could not handle it and it was to his destruction. Pride will kill every time. So, here was this strong man that had weak self-control. Can I tell you some good news? Would you like to end on some good news today? God specializes in making weak men strong. I want to give you three attitudes. That was three attitudes that make strong men weak. I want to give you three counteracting attitudes that make weak men strong very quickly. We have a God who is all about that. We have a God who is about... My, my mom used to say it like this. Hey, boy, you need an attitude adjustment. And if we would just adjust our attitude, we can find strength that is only found in Him alone. If we embrace our weakness, that is where His strength comes in. The Bible says it's in our weakness. Another way of saying that is in our dependence on God that His strength is revealed. I want to go through these very quickly. Here are three attitudes that you could take with you that will make strong that make weak men strong first of all is transparency transparency says I am weak and I am in need of God it counteracts lust right I want it no transparency says man I need God and God alone see I'm not that strong I need God until you admit that you're weak without him you'll never be strong in him Ephesians 6 and 10, you know this is Ephesians is the, the armor of God. When we get to verse 10, what does it say? Finally, be strong in yourself. Yeah, be strong in yourself. It's not what it says. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's time to get transparent. That's one of the things I love about LifePoint Fellowship. That's one of the things I love about being part of life groups is you ain't got to have it all figured out because ain't nobody in this place perfect. And I just proved that because I said the word ain't and ain't ain't even in the dictionary, but it may be, I don't know. Um, 24 ounces of coffee. Don't have to be perfect. He came for the sick. He came for the needy. And it's in that dependence and in that understanding that I am weak, but he can be made strong. When we are transparent, the Bible says in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. I'm not telling you go tell everybody your business, but you need to be transparent enough to have some people come alongside of you, have some accountability partners, men, that say, hey, I don't have to pretend to have it together. I am having problems in the lust issue. I've got a pride issue right now. My family is being destroyed, and I want to be transparent enough that I need God. I need others to step alongside of me. I need to be in a life group. Men, I need to be in church and have my family in church every time I'm around and uh, just say hey I need to put it as a priority why because in my weakness in my dependency he can be strong being transparent very quickly another thing is humility can I tell you a secret you deserve nothing can I tell you a secret I don't deserve anything else either you know what you deserve you know what I deserve death The Bible says that every one of us is our sinners. And without the grace of God, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We don't deserve anything. But then it says this, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That we in ourselves we deserve nothing, but he loved us, and because of his grace and because of his good mercy, he can forgive us. You think you're strong, you think you're making it happen, you think you're successful, you think you deserve it. Listen, we deserve nothing. It's time to humble ourselves. It's hard, but it's time to bow our knee because when we bow our knee in humility, then that is when strength really begins. Somebody in this place, you've been trying to live your life your own way, and you're just, you just look, and it's just going to shambles. I'm not saying giving your life to Jesus will make your life perfect, but it is the starting point to real strength. Why don't you admit you need him? You've screwed it up on your own. So did I. Why not believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who never sinned and died on the cross for my sins? Why not confess him as Lord? It's when we humble ourselves in that way that all of a sudden we get all that we do not deserve. The grace of Jesus. And finally this morning as the band begins to come. Do you see how that vulnerability or that humility gets rid of entitlement? I don't deserve it. The last one is vulnerability. I am weak without his strength. This combats pride. This combats the thought that I can handle it, that I am strong. No, I'm weak, and I'm in need of his strength. This is a big one, especially for us guys to embrace, because when we are vulnerable before God and before others, all of a sudden, he can become strong in our lives. Man, on this Father's Day, I want to challenge you. I want to give you a Father's Day challenge. 
This may seem a little counterintuitive on a Father's Day, but I want to encourage you this week to be weak. I want to encourage you to say, God, I need you. I don't deserve you, but God, I need you. Come into my life. In just a moment, I'm going to ask somebody to pray that prayer. I admit I need you. I believe and confess you as Lord. I want to start a journey with you. I give my life to you. I am weak, but you can be strong. Somebody has given your life to Jesus. For somebody else, it's, man, you've been dealing with pride. You've been dealing with lust. You've been dealing with the I want it. You've been dealing, I deserve it. And God is just, you're flirting with disaster. But if in your weakness you begin to be vulnerable and transparent to God, he will cause you to be strong in him. I believe that God is going to turn some relationships around. I believe that somebody in this place, even in your relationship, somebody's going to humble themselves. During the prayer time, I don't know, man, God really wanted this out there because in prayer time, one of the folks that I prayed for, somebody today, you're going to make reconciliation with a father. You're going to make the phone call. You're going to humble yourself. Maybe you're the father and you failed. Why not humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Why not make the phone call and you ask for forgiveness? I don't know what it is, but God is speaking to some people in this place today. You need Him to be the Lord of your life. You need Him to be the... You need to begin to be weak. Admit you need Him so that His strength can be revealed in and your life and your marriage and your relationship with your kids. And God will give you the strength you need. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. Let me pray over you. And in just a moment, Pastor Casey's going to come. He's got to close us out. We're going to do some giveaways. You're going to go. You're going to have a good time today. <coughs> Why not just start this week off in a place of weakness and brokenness before God? God, I need you. Just a moment, those who say, I need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life, I want you to be bold enough when I call for it for you to raise your hand and say, man, I want to be a part of the family of God. I'm weak, but God, come into my life. Strengthen me. Somebody else, I am a Christ follower, but man, lust and pride and I deserve it and all these other things. They're speaking to me and today I need to admit my need for him. I need an attitude adjustment. I don't deserve it. I need to be transparent. I need to be vulnerable. I need to ask you for help. With heads bowed, eyes closed all over this place, the story of Samson speaks to us that ultimately we'll learn by the end of Samson that he did lose his strength, but he regained it when he humbled himself and said, God, one more time, let me glorify your name. Today, you want the strength that's found in him alone. I need Jesus, or God speaking to me on a different level, and I need the strength that he is speaking into my heart. Boldly, raise your hand right where you're seated right now, and I want to pray. I see that hand, I see those hands right there. Amen, I see those hands. Let me pray as... Pastor Casey will be coming to close us out. And as I pray, you talk to Jesus right now. Father, right now, all over this place, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this upcoming series as we look at a man who was physically strong, but spiritually weak. But ultimately in his life, he came back to a place of weakness and dependency on you, and he regained his strength. Father, all over this place, I speak over the fathers and I speak over the men, I speak over the women of this place that they find strength in you. God, those who need to admit and believe and confess you, right now they're doing that. Become their Lord, the Savior of their life. Others in that place, they know you, but God, they're letting pride 
entitlement. They're letting all these attitudes bring them down a road of destruction. Today, Father, give them an attitude adjustment of transparency and vulnerability and humility before you. And as they pour their heart out, as they find others that walk around with them, through this life and life groups as they go in this journey would you help them find the strength that is in you alone and we will thank you and praise you for it in Jesus name amen and amen